the stronger one. On Thursday at Newman Light, it was actually like the 10-year anniversary of my ordination, and we were, we were sitting around playing some, playing some fun games with the students, and, uh, and they asked, they said, uh, Father, we don't know your vocation story. Can you tell us? And so as I, it's kind of one of those things, every time you tell a story, it's kind of, you might notice different things. And in telling it now more than ever, I was like, I'm very aware of my weakness. And in particular, I remember uh, a moment when I was just kind of months away from my deacon ordination. And I realized that, I mean, I was very aware of my weakness. And... I felt God say to me in prayer, basically an invitation, do you trust more in your strength or in mine? And I realized, I was like, you know, I'm very conscious of my own weakness, but if God, who knows everything, God who is almighty and all-powerful, that if he's still calling me to follow him, then somehow that's better. That somehow he has the goodness and strength and knowledge to be able to do something better in my life than I could ever do on my own. That it was an invitation to trust in his strength. That he's stronger. And that's where I want to put my faith. Jesus gives us this cryptic image, this parable today of a divided house which cannot stand. He says that no one can enter a strong man's house unless he first bind up the strong man. Who is the strong man? Or rather, a better question is, who is the strongest man? The Lord. The creator of all is stronger than all. That even, you know, sometimes when I was a kid, I was like, oh, okay, so you have like the devil and you have like Jesus. And it was like, no. You come to learn that the equal of the devil is St. Michael the Archangel at the same level of power, I mean. But that both of them are created beings. But that God created everything. That there is no one stronger than God. That there's nothing we need to fear in the created world even my own weakness and brokenness compared to God. And what does the evil one try to do but try to divide us against God? God who wills my good, that the evil one tries to separate me from him, to introduce mistrust and suspicion. That's where we find ourselves in our first reading, right? In the book of Genesis that it's just after the fall, when the serpent had, the evil one, had planted the seeds of doubt. Does God really want you to be happy? Can you really trust in God? No, it's better for you to do it yourself. Let, you should choose what's good and bad for yourself. Don't let someone else choose that. You choose that. And so now they've fallen, and they realize it. They, they see their shame. They see their sin, right? And, and what do we do in our sin and our shame? We hide from God. Like, I'm just, I can't even go to church. I can't even, I just can't even bear to see that, you know? It's kind of like when I see someone on campus and I'm like, I'm like, hey, how are you? They're like, Father, it's been a busy semester, you know? Like, 
I was like, I was just asking how your day was going. You know, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, we, and so, but, so God asked him this question, where are you? Which, which is, you know, but God's God, right? So he, doesn't he actually know where they are? If you're God, don't you know where we are? Yes, he does. But the question is different. The question is not, you know, where are you located? The question is, where are you? What's going on? What's, what's happening in your life? That it's actually an invitation to come back to him, to tell him what's going on. And, and actually, praise God, Adam and Eve do. Adam's like, we, we ate this fruit, you know, that you had forbidden us to eat. But it's precisely in that, like, confession, if you will, it's precisely in that turning back to God that we actually are given the first proclamation of the good news, the, the proto-evangelion, that, that God promises a savior. So precisely in that moment of fallenness, that as they turn back to him, God says, it's okay, but because of this, I'm actually going to do something better. That I'm actually proclaiming good news into that place where you feel ashamed and weak. And, and he turns to the, God turns to the evil one and he says, he will strike at your head while you strike at his heel. What's, what's worse? <laughs> for, for the evil one to strike at our heel? You know, get away from me, you know? And, or for God to stomp on his head. Do you remember that scene in Passion of the Christ when Jesus is being tempted in the garden? That, and he's, he's being tempted to not trust in God. That, that just like Adam and Eve were in a garden, that here's Jesus now in the new garden. And he can, he can trust in God's plan, or he can try to do it himself. And at the moment that he, uh, he, he trusts in God, you know, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done, in a powerful cinematic way, you see Jesus stomp on the head of the snake. It's like, you're done. You might nip at me, but you're dead. That's God showing his power. That the evil one can nip at us, can pull us, can, can plant these seeds of doubt and difficulty. But God is going to work through that and do something even better. That's our hope. But, but it's okay to acknowledge the reality that we face, that I am tempted, I am weak, that, that the evil one does seem to be strong in my life. You know, that, that why is the evil one so powerful? Um, even, even this week, I talked to two different uh, students. One student um, was telling me, they're like, you know, I don't believe in God. And then in the course of the conversation, I was like, wait a minute, you said you don't believe in God, but you're talking about like, spiritual beings and all this stuff. I said, it sounds like it's not that you don't believe in God. It's just that you're not happy with God because you see bad things happening in your life. She's like, yeah. If you're such a good God, why are you allowing these bad things to happen? And it feels like the evil one has such a strong hold in our world. But, but Jesus calls the evil one, he calls him the ruler of this world. In the context of the scripture verse, it was, our, it was our gospel acclamation today, John 12, 31. Now, the ruler of this world, the evil one, will be driven out. That yes, he has power, but he will be driven out. 
this other girl was talking about, I was like, how's it going? She had just graduated from NAU here. And she's like, you know, I was just, uh, I had to work through college. And so I worked most Sundays. So I was just really busy. So I didn't really make it to mass. Okay. That, that draw, that pull of like, I'm so busy, I can't go to Mass. That's a power that the evil one has over us. Or, but you know what, I don't really need to go to church to be a good person, so it's, I don't really need God. I could do it on my own. That, that's, that's that sinister, subtle pull and draw where, where the evil one's at work. Um, but God is so powerful that he can make a greater good come from our own weakness and sin than if we never sinned. We believe in a world that is better because Adam and Eve fell and you and I fall and we experience redemption than if there was no sin in the world. Isn't that crazy? Like, this is actually the best of all possible worlds. That God is so big, so powerful, so strong that he can make good come from these futile efforts that the evil one does. I like this line from St. Paul today. He says, for this momentary light affliction, which doesn't always feel momentary, which doesn't always feel light, right? We feel the affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You can't even compare. You can't even compare the glory to be revealed for us. Can't even see it. And so how do we experience that redemption even now? Jesus tells us in our gospel about the forgiveness of sins. And he mentions the sin that can't be forgiven. What's, you know, we all feel like I committed the sin that can't be forgiven. It's like, okay, we all feel that way, right? But Jesus says, what is the sin that can't be forgiven? He says, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. What is that? One way to look at it is the one sin that is not forgivable is the sin that I don't ask him to forgive. He can't forgive it if I don't show it to him. That he can't come into my house if I don't open the door. That God, who is the perfect gentleman, that he waits like Revelation, as it was, Revelation 3.21, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. That, that he who opens the door, that I will come in and dine with him. That God waits for us to open the door. And if I don't want to open the door, he says, it's okay. Like the father of the prodigal son, if you want to leave, it's okay. But the moment you come back, I'm going to welcome you with open arms. And, and so for that son, it's a, it's a more powerful message that I've fallen and I'm weak, and now I recognize the love of my father in a more profound way than if I had never fallen. If I had never run away from home, I would never know that my lo father loves me this much. And so what do we, when, we, when we experience our, our sin and our brokenness, the temptation is like Adam and Eve to run and hide. The temptation is to run far away from the Newman Center, to, to not go to confession. But the door is always open. The invitation is there where God wants to invite us in, that, that, that him together with me in my house, that a house united 
can stand. But a house where I try to do it by myself, it's not going to stand. A house where I'm trying to do my will and God wants his will, it cannot stand. But if I invite him in, in spite and into my brokenness and my weakness and my sin, that he will begin to proclaim the good news, that he will begin to renew my hope. I, I think that's where all this despair is happening. Even in the news this week, despair, suicide. Because if, if I have to do it myself, if my future, if my better future is based on my own strength, I know that I can't do that. I can't make good come out of my own mistakes. And so if it's just me in my house alone trying to figure it out, it will never work. And we will despair. But God says, no, it's precisely into your house. It's precisely into that darkness, into the sin, into the garden thrown askew that he desires to come and to do something beautiful, to plant the tree of life right in the middle of my life so that I can receive from his vine that life-giving fruit, medicine, the sacraments. I was talking to this, uh, this woman, this mother, at a social gathering this week, and, and she was saying, I was, her daughter had just graduated here, so I was talking to her, and, um, and she's like, oh, we love the Newman Center. She's like, you know, we didn't always go, but you know, I need to go to confession. She said, it's been 17 years and I really, I really want to go to confession. I was like, well, clearly, because you're telling me. You know, like, it's on your heart. You're saying it. I didn't say that. But so she's like, she's like, I want to go to confession. She said, but she went on to say, she says, but I just, I just don't want to, like, burden some priest with, with the, the junk that, that I have that I've been going through for the last 17 years. And I was like, oh, no. I was like, no, it's the opposite. He's the one that takes them. He's the one that forgives. I feel privileged that I get to stand there with the father and welcome back the prodigal son and join in the party. Like, it's a, it's a blessing. I said, I love confession. It's awesome. And then <laughs> I was kind of going, and then I looked, and there were tears coming down her cheeks. And so I stopped, and, uh, and she said, she opened up her arms, and she said, thank you. And she gave me a hug. She said, I'm going to come back to confession. The pull and power of the evil one can feel very strong. But praise God that we have an advocate, a healer, a savior who is stronger.